Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Um, even though Brock is involved in two crowded houses and makes the rest of us look bad, you only have to be involved in one. <laughs> but he's an aspiring leader, and, and actually he's been blessed uh, with just God's grace to, uh, to lead us well and encourage us well. And uh, it's been awesome to watch him grow and learn and have his faith strengthened even in the midst of some really, really difficult, difficult times. So I want to encourage you to continue uh, to pray for him and his family and, and, um, and his wife. So um, we have been uh, doing a, a cluster of church life uh, messages over the last few weeks. And, and uh, we have been kind of focusing on this issue of unity, because there's nothing that can just blow all this apart uh, than, than dis, like disunity can. Uh, when we're struggling and we're frustrated and we find ourselves resenting each other or, or just being preoccupied with our, with our own agenda. Unity is, is critical. And we've been talking about also what it looks like if we are all united in Christ and what it looks like if we're all united in a, a common cause and a common mission with all the different experiences and personality and giftings that he has blessed uh, with this church with. Now, uh, Tom said it earlier, what we've been saying around here is that one of the things, that, the thing that we're all about is leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family for the glory of God. And the issue that gets raised in this text is the heart of a Christian leader. See, the truth is, is we own that together. We own this mission, leading people to and through a life-changing relationship. We own that together. So if we're going to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship, we need to understand what leading is, really is all about. And so here Paul shows us the heart of a Christian leader. And, and I know, I know it might be real easy for some of you to think, you know what? Well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a leader. But you are. You are a leader. My hope is that you can own that, that you can, that you can embrace your role as a leader. Because the truth of the matter is, basically, a leader is somebody who influences someone else. So every single one of you is a leader right now, whether you like it or not. It may be in your family. It might be in your school. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be in your job. It might be in your church. Wherever it is, this message applies to every single one of us. And wherever it is that you find yourself, God wants to use you to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Here's the thing. A lot of churches have a lot of different ways of saying what they're all about. And uh, what is very common is for people to sit in the chairs and hear the leadership talk about it and then live vicariously through the leaders and say, yeah, this is what we're doing, but it's really just the leaders of the church staff that's, that's doing it all. God created us to be a body that functions together, so we all own this together. So, uh, my purpose for this message then I mean, if I, I want to challenge you to embrace your, your role as a leader here, and as you do, you might get a little bit freaked out, but listen, for those of you who are Christians, 
It is my desire this morning to encourage you and to build you up and to equip you and, and help you to become a more effective Christian leader right where God has you. And I, I want you to think right now about the different people that God has placed in your life. And as we go through this, I want you to think about how it is that you are influencing them. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want, I want to show you what Jesus thought about all this so you can have a better idea of who he is and, and what he's all about. So, looking at this text, what's Paul talking about? What is he doing? Well, what we see here is that Paul is defending the authenticity of his leadership. He planted this church in, in Corinth, but then after he plants this church in Corinth, God sends him away to spread the gospel in other cities. But after he left, after he leaves Corinth, these false teachers swoop in, and they said that Paul wasn't a true apostle. They said, you can tell that Paul is weak just by looking at him. He's not, an inspirational, he's not an inspirational preacher. The people in his church are all messed up. So therefore, you know, Paul obviously doesn't take sin very seriously at all. He can't even deliver himself from this thorn in the flesh that he told us all about. And you can tell that God is judging him. Just look at all the struggles and trouble that he's always getting into. So Paul says, wait a second, time out. Let me explain something to you. He says, Christian leadership is not about your external quality. It's about your inner reality. And we're going to unpack that. It's not about your external quality. It's about your inner reality. Now, the truth is people messed that up back then, and people mess that up still today. You go to your typical, tip, your typical Christian bookstore, and you check out one of their books on leadership, and most of them by far are focused primarily on improving your external quality so you can be a legit spiritual leader. But that's exactly what all the false teachers were into. Paul says that is not how it is in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, leadership is primarily about your inner reality. So we're going to talk about that. Paul breaks it down for us. He shows us four inner realities in our heart that lead to four outer evidences or results or fruit in our life. And the first reality, if you're taking uh, notes Using the handout in your bulletin, the first inner reality is the leader's identity in Christ. In Christ. Paul uses those two words over and over and over and over again throughout his letters. Um, I'll show you what I mean. Back in, in uh, verse 13 here, Paul says, I had no peace of mind. He is filled with anxiety and depression, possibly. I mean, the way that he writes, that's kind of the sense that you get. I know all of us struggle with that from time to time. Anxiety, feeling hopeless, and then you're depressed. And, and the Apostle Paul, what's, what's refreshing about this is that he's being brutally honest, being open and vulnerable. I mean, he's stressed out for the Christians in Corinth. The survival of the church that he planted was at risk. I personally know what that kind of anxiety is like. And Paul says, I had no peace of mind. I was gripped with anxiety. I was gripped with worry. I, I, I was depressed. I didn't know how things were, were going to work out. Then in verse 14, what was his, what was his hope? 
better circumstances, everything got great? No. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. See, when he, this language here, he's referring to these spectacular parades that the Roman Empire would have in honor of a general who won a major battle. And the general rode into the city on a, on a great war horse and his army marching in behind him in the streets where were, were packed with people celebrating this victory. And Paul says, I was filled with despair, but even in my despair, God leads me in triumph. How, how can he say that? Because most of us, we just want our circumstances to change or this person to change for us to be okay. Why can he say that? Because he says, God leads me in a victory parade in Christ. Now, you know what that means? It means that our general has already won the great battle. He already triumphed over the ultimate enemies of evil and death and eternal judgment, and we share in his victory right now because we are in Christ. That should be enough, right? So often we still hold out for more, like anything, like, like you can improve on that. This is the Christian's identity. This is what shapes the way you see the world and the way that you think. At the moment you believe in Jesus, God's spirit unites us with Jesus in such a way that all that Jesus is, all of his riches, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness that, that Jesus has is ours in him. That is what truly changes hearts. That's what changes lives. That's what changes your family, your home, your church, your cities, the, the world. Like the question is, do you believe that? The question is, is that really enough or not? Look what Paul says later in his letter in 2 Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Paul says, the old ways, the weak ways of defining your identity, if you're in Christ, those are gone. They can't help you anyway. See, usually, here's what I know. Usually, leaders look to results to define their identity. Parents look to their children's behavior. Business leaders look to salaries, profits, and titles. Ministry leaders look to the size of their ministry or their position or for the, or for the respect or the approval of people. And as a result, when the kids are bad or when you get fired or criticized or God says, wait, it devastates you because now you don't even know who you are. And then you either just go into a downward spiral or you just start just clawing and fighting for control. Paul says, look, that's going to just suck the life out of you and everyone else around you. Paul says the old way of getting your identity is gone. Paul says the old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, you have a new identity. You are a new person. Put off the old self. In Christ, the God of the in Christ, the God of the universe is your perfect, loving, heavenly Father. The God of the universe 
loves you with the same love that he has for his perfect son. Do you believe that? I think most of us say that, okay, yeah, sure, but when it comes to the way that we live and the things that get us all up in, in knots, it seems like we just absolutely forget that. I mean, the evidence is, is in the anxiety or, or the wanting to control or the just hopelessness. He loves you with the same love that he has for his perfect son. And it has nothing to do with what you have done. It doesn't have to do anything with what you do. Only because of what Jesus has done. And now you are identified in Christ and nothing can change that. Nothing can take that away from you. This changes everything. Because of Christ, God loves us. Because of Christ, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us way too much to let us remain as we are. And so he's, his grace changes us. The good news changes us. He reminds us of our identity in Christ. And if you believe this, here's the change that will happen. Here's the result um, that will happen. Um, you will lead. You'll be involved in people's lives. You will influence people with both sensitivity and stability. You know, if you look at the beginning of our text, in verse 12, we see Paul say, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. And the people in Troas were open to the gospel. But Paul says in verse 13, I still had no peace of mind. You know why? Because he wanted, he wanted to know how his church family was doing in Corinth. That's why he goes to Macedonia to find Titus so Titus can fill him in. And then he says in, in verse 13, and so I said goodbye to them. To who? The people in Troas who believed Jesus through his preaching. So here's Paul. He is far away from his church family. And he is filled with worry, filled with despair for them. But it does not stop him from spreading the gospel. He has a, a sensitivity to be deeply moved, but he also has the stability to fulfill his, his calling of spreading the gospel in other cities, regardless of how difficult it is. See, here's, maybe you've seen this. Usually people are like one or the other. Uh, leaders who are, are sensitive are usually not very stable. They're an emotional roller coaster. And then people who seem stable are, are usually seem uh, not very sensitive. So how can Paul be both? His identity is not wrapped up in his security. His identity is not wrapped up in his status. His, his security is not wrapped up even in his failures and weakness. Is nothing to do with his performance as a leader. His identity is, is securely, securely based on who he is in Christ. And so that means we can both have just deep feelings and firm stability. So let me ask you this morning. Which way do you normally lean? Which way do you normally, uh, what do you normally lean away from? Have you discovered total security and strength in finding your identity in Christ? Or are you still looking into your own performance? 
And if you can't do it, you expect everybody else to do it, and then they let you down. <laughs> and you're still wrapped up in knots. Or have you found your identity in Christ? Even this morning, even this morning, before I got up here in the first service, I was feeling like I, I just didn't feel very as prepared as I wanted to be, that, that I didn't internalize this stuff as much as, as I needed to to present like a, a, a good message. And then I remembered what I was talking about. <laughs> I, I mean, I could even be preparing a message about finding our competency in God. And then just totally space out. That's how easy it is. That's why we need each other. To encourage each other. So, the first inner reality is, is the leader's identity in Christ. Second, the leader's pas passion to know Christ. Paul says this, And through us, God spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. See, these victory parades Paul refers to included the burning of incense. And Paul says that God uses us to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And he's not just, when he says the knowledge of Christ, he's not just talking about Bible trivia knowledge. He's talking about a pers personal, close relationship with Jesus. He's basically saying that to know Christ is to love Christ. I know so many people who know so much about Jesus, but it seems like they have no love for him. They have more love for themselves and how much they can impress other people with their Bible knowledge. But to know Christ is to love Christ. See, I think it's important to ask ourselves, how do we view the church? Are we united by being good? That better not be the case because, you know, it, <laughs> we mess up all the time and, and uh, we are always letting each other down. I mean, there's no hope in that. We can never be good enough. Or, or are we drawn to the person that makes us good? Is he more important? See, before Paul met Jesus, he was obsessed with how awesome he thought he was. Maybe you are too. Or you're obsessed with how, you know, what a failure you think you are. It's the other side of the same coin. In Philippians 3, Paul says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Okay? That, that's, the, that's the best of the best of these religious people, right? As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. So basically, this was Paul's attitude was, if you don't live up to my standard, I'm just going to write you off, right? But then he met Jesus. And suddenly, suddenly, everything changed. And he had a strong love for Jesus. His heart was open to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. He realized that as, as good as, as, and as religious as he thought he was, <laughs> He was headed for eternal judgment. But now Paul sees that Jesus paid the price of his self-righteousness on the cross. And now his heart is filled with gratitude. Now his heart is filled with humility. Now his heart is filled with love. Totally different than who he was. Paul says, I did all kinds of crazy religious stuff that impressed all the self-righteous religious people. 
And then he starts listing it out. But then he says this, I count all these things but dung. Can you even say that in church? <laughs> dung. He says it's all dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That is the Christian leader's passion. It is to know Christ. And to the extent that you know Christ, you become the fragrance of Christ. You can tell. Because the result is that you will lead with this beautiful combination of grace and truth. John says that, that Jesus dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Now, these two things in, uh, on a human level don't usually go together. For example, some people can be, you know, really bold on, on truth, but just short on grace. And another group of people can be totally lavish with grace, but short on truth. But you need both. Truth without grace is easily rejected, and grace without truth loses its power. But Jesus speaks the truth with all of its power, and at the same time, he is just overflowing with grace and all of its power. So if you are getting to know Jesus, the same thing is going to be happening to you. You will speak the, the truth boldly and never water down God's demands. But at the same time, at the same time, you are full of grace if you know Jesus. So let me ask you, what's the fragrance of your life? What do we smell like? Is it the fragrance of truth and grace, or is it that other stuff the Apostle Paul was talking about? The third inner reality is this, the leader's legacy. And the leader's legacy is the people of Christ. Paul says in, in chapter 3, verse 1, do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation? See, these, uh, Paul left the false teachers. They swooped in. Uh, they show up to Corinth with their, their letters of recommendation. We don't even know who they are. But now they're asking Paul, where's your letter of recommendation? And Paul says, I don't need no stinking letter of recommendation. In verse 2, he says to his church family this. This is beautiful. You yourselves are our letter. That is beautiful to me. You yourselves are our letter. Paul says, the only... The only evidence anyone needs to see that I'm a true leader of Christ is you. Who you are in Christ are the only credentials I need. See, before Paul shows up, I mean, there was no Christian community there. But through his ministry, now there was. And he knew these people personally. He knew them intimately. He was in constant fellowship with them through thick and thin. The the adulterers, the thieves, and the drunks were his, his dearly beloved friends. And as the chief of sinners, he was by their side as they wrestled with the gospel together to leave their past and to follow Jesus. This is what God's calling us to. This is how we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. And when he says, you put 
you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. The, the literal translation has to do with um, this idea of being permanently engraved on his heart. It's been a, a blessing for me to get to know Joe and Nancy John. And for a long time, they've had their own group in, in uh, North Escondido. And, um, and then they showed up to Infusion Church. And they just started loving people and serving people and encouraging people left and right, then bringing some of their group here. And as I talk to uh, the, the people in their group, they're just so incredibly encouraged by the ministry of, of Joe and Nancy. And I talk to Joe and Nancy, and I can tell they absolutely love their people with all of their heart. You can tell. I mean, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. I mean, that's how they feel about their people. It's just so awesome and encouraging to see. Listen, the Christian leader's legacy is not the books he writes or the organization he leads or the cathedrals that he builds. The Christian legacy is the people of Christ who have been permanently engraved on their heart. I mean, if we get that, if that clicks for us in our head, the, the, the result is that we will lead with both tough love and hope, okay? Paul loved them so much, he loved them too much to not correct them when they needed it. He loved them so much, he, he, he was willing to correct them, even if it means that they would reject him. But at the same time, he has a sure hope. Despite them challenging his authority, despite their struggle with sin, he is still confident that they belong to, Christ, belong to Christ. We see both tough love and a sure hope. Again, these two things, you know, in the world, they just don't go together. Sometimes leaders, you know, bring tough love without any hope, and they're frustrated that a person isn't living up to their standard, and so they take out their frustration through harsh correction. On the other hand, some leaders have hope without tough love. I mean, they hope the person is going to change, but they don't really love them enough to get intimately and sacrificially involved in their lives to help build up their faith in who Jesus is and what he has done so that their hearts and lives are totally transformed. This is what God's calling us to for each other. It is part of leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. So if you're involved in this, if you are a leader, if you, if, you own this, if you own this mission as a church, then you will have love and hope. You will know that love does cover a multitude of sins. But we also know that love personally confronts destructive sin when necessary. Sin always destroys the person sinning and the people around them. So it's unloving to not graciously talk to them about it and challenge them and correct them and then being willing to be corrected. That's, that's why I have to ask you on a regular basis, if you see something messed up in my heart and life, please, you, if you love me, talk to me about it. So let me, let me ask you something. Um, do, um, do you find it easy to confront people? If you do, something's wrong. 
Jean. <laughs> just Do you find yourself avoiding confrontation? If you do, something's wrong. That's how, that's, how this, that's how this goes. We become either overly aggressive or passive aggressive, and both wear it relationships and God's glory. That's just the way it goes. So, this is the Christian life. This is church life. How y'all doing so far? Oh, man. Really, honestly, how's your inner reality right now? Listen to me. I know that I do not measure up. I know that. I'd like to convince myself that I do, but I don't. There are new opportunities God is, you know, presenting to us, and I don't know how to navigate it all. And in my experience, when I start, you know, out in those uncharted, that uncharted territory, I usually end up accidentally hurting somebody. Or if the sin gets better of me, my pride gets better of me, then I hurt them on purpose. <laughs> and then regret it. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't measure up. I'm no better than Paul. Man. I can easily define my identity by how well I preach, like, you know, the worry that I had this morning or how well the, the church is, is doing either organizationally or the relationships or whatever, all the responsibilities wrapped up. My identity can be easily wrapped up in that, and it is idolatry. It's idolatry. My mood can reflect how I think I'm doing. And look, I do love Jesus, but I'm not awesome at cultivating my relationship uh, with him and with others. And God knows that I love my brothers and, and sisters in Christ, my church family, but when it's necessary to correct, I know that I can be filled with impatience and fear instead of love and hope just like anybody else. Okay? How about you? You think we might all be in the same boat together? Possibly? We are. Guess what? We're in good company. Paul says in verse 16. And who is equal to such a task? He answers the question in the next chapter. He says, none of us. He says, not that we are competent in ourselves. You know, we don't have what it takes. We can't do this ourselves. But our competence comes from God. So own your role as a leader, as, as somebody that, that God wants to use to influence others for, for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom of, of grace, wherever it is that God finds you. Own that. Your competency is found in God. Man. It's so easy to forget. That's why we're preaching on it. Fourth inner reality, the leader's competency is the grace of Christ. Paul says no one's competent. No one's good enough or impressive enough. The purpose of Christian leadership is to influence others so that their lives are eternally changed. None of us can do that. Only God can. And that's Paul's point. 
Only God can do it. But the crazy thing is, is that he does it through us. So therefore, yes, we should do it to the best of our abilities. But whatever that is, God covers it in his grace. Paul says, it is God who leads us in the victory parade in Christ. It's God who spreads the beautiful fragrance of Christ through us, each and every single one of of you here. It is Christ who writes the letter, a letter written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is God who makes us competent. If we think that we can do this ourselves, if if we're preoccupied with striving to do it all of ourselves, then, then we'll just be like the false teachers and the life just gets sucked out of us and everyone around us. But here's what's amazing. If you come to grips with the reality that you can't do it, that you know that you can't do it, that you're humble enough to to just admit that you can't do it, then like Paul, God can and will use you. That's how this works. Paul says, you have no idea how awesome I was. It wasn't good enough. we get this then here's the result as leaders all of us we will be both weak and strong most people say you know what um i'm strong when i'm strong or i'm i'm weak when i'm weak and and that's how the false teachers thought somebody was strong if they looked and appeared strong somebody's weak if they looked and appeared weak and then they would that's just how they would categorize uh people and that's, how the, that's, that's the thinking of the false teachers. And they totally left God out of the whole equation. Paul says the reality is this. When I am weak, that is when I'm strong. Because God's strength comes to those who know they need him. seen this time and time again, seen it in my own life, and I'm a slow learner. God is gracious. I was thinking about, I was thinking about um, when, I was, when I was just a, a little kid. Um, I'll, I'll close with this. My, my dad played guitar for as long as I can remember. He learned guitar before I was born. So I, I my, my older sister, my two other brothers, we all, four of us, we grew up watching my dad play the guitar. And I remember there were times um, we were hanging out at, at home in the living room, and my brothers and sisters, all four of us, would start strumming the, the guitar strings together at the same time. No skill whatsoever. And then my dad would change his, his fingers, change, his, change the chords. And I know I'm not doing that right, Josh. I don't know any guitars. But so he was doing something like this, changing the chords. And the song would come out. I mean, it was incredible. 
and we were having fun together, and, and we knew that our dad loved us and delighted in us and loved being with us, and, and he let us be a part of what he was doing. I mean, we weren't good at it at, at all, but he was. And I remember being blown away that, that we played a part in this music that was coming out of this guitar. Here's the truth. When you look at the cross and you understand it, you will see that we are, we are powerless to achieve salvation from God's judgment of sin. We are powerless to achieve transformed hearts in ourselves or anyone else. And God says, I love you. You need to know that the only hope you or anyone else has is in Jesus. He is the one who has done it all for you. So trust him and God is in the process of spreading that message of grace throughout the world and in our weakness he is our father who makes the music and he lets us be a part of it and as you declare your need for Jesus and the cross you will have more influence on those around you than you will ever ever realize and people will think man God could change you. He could change anybody. God can change that Matt Ortiz guy. He can change anybody. That is our hope, not our circumstances. That is our message. That is the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you loved us when we didn't even want to have anything to do with you. You loved us when, when we slighted you, when we ignored you, when uh, we didn't do what you wanted us to do, <laughs> when we thought of ourselves um, and our wants and desires and needs to be more important than anything else, that you still loved us. You are so merciful. Thank you so much for your patience. God, I, I pray that every single one of us in this room comes to grips with the reality of your grace and growing in the knowledge of your grace more and more. Forgive us for the way that we try to find our security in so many other things. They might even be good things, but God, ultimately, we know our security can come from you, that, that uh, Jesus has already ultimately won the battle against evil and death and eternal judgment. I mean, what a great hope that is. And we get so distracted so easily when other things don't work out the way that that we wanted the way that we planned because either we couldn't live up to our own standards or somebody you know, let us down and then we just totally forget about how amazing your grace is and how sure your promise is and how secure we are in you. So God, I pray that our competency in our 
influence in our leadership, in our discipleship, would be rooted in, in you and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you'd make us a gracious, hopeful people. And that our lives and our hearts and even our moods and emotions would even reflect that. God, I pray, Lord, that right now um, you would enable us to examine our hearts. Show us where we're not trusting you. And then enable us to confess that sin knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purifies from all unrighteousness, leading us to just great hope and joy and strength in you. Relief that nothing can change our relationship with you. God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that has not trusted you as their, their savior, has not put their faith in, in Jesus as, as their king, has not decided to follow Jesus inspired by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that your spirit would move within them. Help them to trust you for the first time this morning and to follow you. God, I pray that we'd get our priorities right and that we would be satisfied in who we are in you. We pray that you would receive all the glory for that. We pray this in your name.